Hi, I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding the Bible in its original context and its wisdom for today. Let's get started. We are back with another episode about the law, but as we've talked about in... The law, laying down the law. As we talked about in episode seven, um, if you listen to that episode, if you haven't yet, definitely recommend going back and um, and catching up a little bit because it's going to be really important to our conversation now. But the law is definitely more than just that idea of, as we just said, the law, laying down the law. <laughs> it's more than just a list of, of do's and don'ts, and um, it's bigger than the idea of breaking and keeping. So as we talk about kind of continue this conversation about the law, um, we want to highlight that the way that the the Bible talks about the law, the well, the the law that God gives his people, a whole people group, is actually really a really unique circumstance throughout history. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Yeah, and here I am relying heavily on uh, my good friend Jerry Unterman, um, who's an Israeli Bible scholar, Hebrew Bible scholar. Um, who wrote a whole book on this. So if you're interested, which I think most people will be, um, how the Jewish Bible, justice for all, how the Jewish Bible revolutionized ethics. Mm. Um, and he points out something that's actually fairly obvious to people who work in ancient Near Eastern literature. So all the nations around them, uh, around Israel at the time, I think most people will have learned in school at some point, the code of Hammurabi, um, as like this great giving of the law. And interestingly, the code of Hammurabi was put on obelisks, uh, these stone pillars, um, and was never in a legal court, was never used in a legal setting. We have tens of thousands of tablets with legal decisions on them in uh, Mesopotamia and, uh, and particularly Babylon. Not a single one of them ever cites the code of Hammurabi. They don't refer to it. They make lots of decisions that seem to contradict the code of Hammurabi. So I think if you're thinking about the law in the ancient Near East, that's at least a decent standard, but it's unclear. But it gives you that idea again that there really isn't this legislation that everybody's following. They're breaking or keeping it. There, there are these standards of law, but they're in priestly temples and scribal courts, and nobody seems to pay attention to them. Hmm. Um, so that's the the kind of general notion of law, but that's given from a king who is appointed by gods, and then people just ignore his his legal decrees, right? <laughs> um, in the ancient Near East, and, and by the ancient Near East, I mean from southeastern Turkey, Syria, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, um, Saudi Arabia, uh, all the way through Egypt, the, the ancient Fertile Crescent. When you look at all the writing traditions of those people, um, m- many of them, most of them, have a view that the gods can't speak to humans. Um, Daniel, too, gets at this. The, the Chaldean magicians and diviners and enchanters say to King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, this thing that the king has asked is too much. Only the gods know that thing, and they they don't live with humans. Their dwelling is not with flesh. That's a good statement of kind of the general sentiment in the ancient Near East. The gods know all kinds of things. They know what they're planning to do. Sometimes they don't know what they're planning to do. They just get drunk and, like, knock something over, and that creates all kinds of havoc for humans. But they can't break that heaven heaven-earth barrier. And so they're in the heavens. They know things. So the way they can communicate to humans or the way humans figured out how to communicate because of a secret uh, code table that was handed off before the flood, their story, not mine, <laughs> um, is they can kind of scratch the world with hints about things. Um, 
So the black cat, you know, uh, it's a curse if a black cat crosses your path. That comes from Babylon originally. That's a multi-thousand-year-old omen. Um, and they can, you know, it's if this, if you see this, if it's cloudy on this day and the back door of your house is so tall uh, and your, your son is born on a Friday, then this, right? And it's all this like if, then, if, then, if, then. Um, or the, the, the gods can scratch messages into the organs of animals and you can slaughter the, you can ask the gods questions. They can scratch, uh, and they can, uh, you can take apart the animal and kind of check out where these polyps and stuff happen inside the animals and then have, and, and as long as you have a decoder table that tells you, okay, if there's a polyp or a scratch or a bruise here, that means we go to war in spring, right? Um, <laughs> this is all a dicey game of interpretation. Yeah. Um, and and you and this actually what everything I just described would have been the wisdom tradition that Daniel would have been uh, trained in. So he would have mm-hmm. learned how to disembowel animals. He would have learned how to read leaves and bones, and um, he would have learned all of these languages and, and the wisdom literature uh, and the omens. And he would have learned how to dr- do dream interpretation. Tell me what was in your dream, and and I have these lines that say if a man eats a crocodile before midnight in the dream, then it means this, this, mm-hmm. and this. Okay, that's that's a rough you know, thumbnail sketch of what most people in the ancient Near East thought about the God-human relationship. Enter Yahweh, right, <laughs> who selects a man, talks to Abraham, talks to Isaac, talks to Jacob. And it's like a back and forth. Oh, God, how can I know? And here's how you can know, right? Um, and then he calls his people, uh, Israel, out of Egypt, and he calls them to a mountain, and he calls them up the mountain. Now, they refuse to go, as we know, uh, as Deuteronomy 4 delights in telling us, uh, retelling us. They refuse to go, but he, he calls them up to the mountain. He's going to instruct them. And so instead, he, he instructs Moses. He brings the elders up there. He instructs them as well. Um, but he's a God who not only speaks directly to people, but he speaks to directly to a whole people. Um, and when he speaks, he says, like, look, this, this is the kind of things you need to do to become the kind of people that you need to become for the sake of all the families of the earth. Mm. Um, and here's some things that you just can't do because they would tear that project apart, right? Mm-hmm. You can't offer your daughters as prostitutes. You can't offer your children as human sacrifice. You can't oppress uh, the downtrodden. You, if your brother becomes poor, you lift him up. You have to have regular cycles and meals, right? All of this stuff that's instruction for them to become the kind of people that he wants them to become, this is unheard of in the ancient world. So I know we look at the Old Testament, we're like, oh, this angry God just given rules, Um this is a remarkable theological break. I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm trying not to like overstate the case, <laughs> but it it is. Uh, I, I'm not supposed to say absolutely unique because something's either unique or it's not. But it's absolutely <laughs> unique in the in ancient Near East. A God who speaks, and Deuteronomy says this: like, who else has a God who who is so near to his people and speaks to him and gives them statutes and decrees and guidance and teaching? Mm. Um, and so that whole I'm making you into a wise and discerning people is, and I'm going to coach you on the way. Hmm. I'm going to give you some teaching. I'm going to help you along the way. I'm going to continue to coach you. I So th- that to say, when we enter their world, when we turn down the volume of our ideas about law and someone trying to tell me what to do. I'm a free individual and nobody can tell me what to do. Um, and that's kind of our starter kit. Like, you know, I'm my own sovereign society and government. Don't Don't pull me over and tell me what to do which is kind of the worst version of our <laughs> legal thinking. And you turn up the biblical authors, gods don't talk to humans. And you have God coming down and saying, not only am I going to talk to you, but I'm going to guide you, instruct you, teach you, and put up those rails in the bowling alley, right? Mm-hmm. The kiddie rails to make sure you just don't like go off the rails. Um, that is a, what would we call that? 
love, tenderness. Chesed mm. is loving kindness, grace. Mm. Um, so there's a sense in which I think we come to the whole conversation backwards. Like we have okay. the like all the wrong feels. Uh, we come in mad and angry, and who can tell me what? When we should come in uh, to the legal material, uh, like just grateful that God would talk to us and that mm. He would like. Let us know how we can become the people that he's trying to create us into. Hmm. Wow. You know, it, it reminds me of um, the kind of a, a glimpse that we get into God's heart behind laws. And I forget which verse this comes from, but he gives all of these instructions and then says that it may be well with you and with your children after you. So all of this is because he's like, I, I actually want you to, you know, have a good life and right. and be and be blessed and to flourish. So, um, actually, that passage in Deuteronomy twenty nine, or at least there's a version of that in Deuteronomy twenty nine. It's going back to this Hebraic thought: what we can know and how we can know it. It's interesting. Deuteronomy twenty nine ends with um, the the hidden or secret thing. Hidden is probably the right way to say it. The hidden things belong to Yahweh, mm. but the things that he's revealed, this instruction, belong to us and our children to keep and to do. Mm. Um, and so it's this sense of like, look, there are certain things that we, we can't understand. It's not ours to understand. That's not the goal. But it's for us and our children to keep and to do in order for the uh, for all the families of the earth to be blessed through Abraham as was promised uh, to them. Mm. So, yeah, it, again, that. Understanding, wisdom, discernment, intellectualism, spiritualism, whatever you want to call it, um, always has a practical payoff in the community and the lives of God's people for the sake of those who aren't yet God's people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's key about the intellectual world of the Bible. Hmm. Wow. So be actually being able to change the way we approach the law as not seeing God as this harsh lawgiver um, waiting to, well, the baseball bat up in heaven, right, waiting to right. hit, in, waiting to, you know, hammer down anyone who, who breaks a rule. Again, the whole idea of breaking rules doesn't even really fit within that. But instead, seeing God as um, actually wanting, like caring enough about people to tell them what to eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the sake that it would be well with them and with their children after them. So that's yeah. a definitely a, a mindset shift, I think, in the way a lot of us approach uh, yeah. approach the law. And it's sure. like God, you know, wandering through the wilderness going, hey, don't eat those poisonous mushrooms. And us mm. going like, man, he's always trying to tell us what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the old adages you get from, you know, uh, from the sermon in church, you know, the kind of the, the truisms are, are, are true for a reason. And I think it's it's a lost art on us that, that God speaks poetically and legally to us as an act of grace and mm. kindness to us. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, can we talk a little bit about law as story? Um, I know we mentioned this kind of briefly in the last episode, but um, the way that the Torah actually narrates law and kind mm -hmm. of makes us a character, how does that yeah. work? So this this would be another way in which uh, the Torah's legal framework is markedly similar but radically different from the ancient Near East. And again, we ha only have examples like the Code of Hammurabi or the Laws of Shuna. But uh, they're all stated in a very similar way. It's if you do this, then this happens. If a man steals an ox, then he he dies. If he, you know, if he if a man lets his animal drown, right? Uh, it's it's all kind of ambiguous. Like if one lets X happen, then Y accrues, or Y happens in response to that. So, and you have some of that in in the Hebrew Bible. That's not unheard of in the Torah. Um, but this is actually again, I'm I'm relying on a scholar, um, Bart. Bartor Asnat, uh, an Israeli scholar, again, an Israeli scholar, love those Israeli scholars, 
who um, who noticed that the Hebrew Bible takes in some in some cases almost the exact same law from the Code of Hammurabi, but storifies them or narratizes them, like re rejiggers how they actually work. Hmm. And so, let me give an example of this from Exodus twenty three uh, verses four and five. And many of you might know this one, right? Because it's about uh, how you treat your enemies, right? If you see the ass, okay, I don't know which translation I'm using, but uh, donkey or ass. <laughs> if you see the ass of the one who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving uh, him with it. You shall help him to uh, lift it up. Okay, so there's a lot of things going on in that simple statement. So you have a donkey who has fallen because he's got a heavy load on him. And it's not just any donkey. It's your enemy's donkey. So you could even imagine like the valley where Samson, the judge, was raised is actually has direct contact with the valley of the Philistines. So like at some point you wander through that valley. I mean, he could, you know, Samson grew up being able to look directly at villages, uh, Philistine villages. So you can imagine like real enemies, not just someone who's your haters, you know, who's mm-hmm. a fellow Hebrew who just doesn't like you. Um, but you can imagine they're included there as well. Um, and so they're saying like, look, it's a, it's a situation where you might be tempted to walk away and just be like, oh, I don't like Joe. Joe's got, Joe and his donkey have a problem. I'm out, right? Um, but notice how it's framed. It's not if anyone finds X, then he must return it to Y, which is how it would be stated in the Code of Hammurabi. It's if you see the ass of someone who hates you lying under its burden. So it actually mm-hmm. puts you on the ground. It, it's talking to you, and it, it puts you on the ground looking at a scene that is unfolding and saying, look, it, it's actually interpreting what you're seeing for you. You will be tempted to say, oh, that's Joe. I don't like Joe or Joe's mm-hmm. a Philistine or something like that. Um, or it's just a donkey. Maybe you're tempted to just say like, ah, a donkey, who cares? The Torah won't let you think that way about donkeys. But if, that, if you're tempted that direction, you mm-hmm. say, ah, oh, who cares? It's just a donkey. They'll get over it. Um, so notice it creates a setting, a narrative arc with a conflict, characters, uh, me, mm-hmm. my enemy, the donkey is a character in this as well who's struggling under its load. Um, and it basically relies upon me now to complete the narrative, to bring the narrative to um, you know climax and resolution by going and helping the donkey up and helping and thereby helping my enemy or, or the one who hates me. Um, and so by turning it into a, a narrative and placing me in the story, it, it relies upon me to finish the story, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call that. I don't think we even have a word for that in scholarship yet, but that's that is a sophisticated legal move. Like, uh, that is not just people spouting off rules like, don't do this, don't touch that, do this instead. Um, another example, if you see your brother's ox um, and withhold help from them, uh, sorry, let me go back again. You shall not see your brother's ox and withhold your help from them. You shall take them back to your brother. So it's imagine again, you, the character, see a setting unfolding, your brother's ox or a fellow Hebrew's ox. That has gone astray. And uh, you can't just go like, oh, too bad. He should have tied it up. Uh, you have to go get the ox and bring it back mm-hmm. uh, to him. This persists into the New Testament as well. So I find it interesting that Paul seems to reason this way, not all the time, but in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, he's talking about this issue of like, if you're at a pagan or, you know, a non Christian's house, a Gentile's house, and what do you do if they serve you food that has already been dedicated to other gods, right? Like this is, this is a tough moral situation. Uh, and so he, listen to the way that he said it. He doesn't say like, look, if it's been dedicated, if 
X, it's been dedicated to gods, then Y, spit it out of your mouth. Right. He instead sets a scene, he puts you into the scene, and then makes you a character who has to complete the narrative. Mm. He says, quote, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you. So he's got you down on the ground picturing something being set down before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So he actually doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it. He just says, like, look, if you're in this situation, just eat, eat what eats. Eat whatever is set before you. Mm. Um, I don't think there's any other uh, legal code in the ancient Near East or in the Greco-Roman world or otherwise that I know of that has this particular aspect to it. And and I think it, it's it's a way of reasoning with somebody by not just giving them an abstract situation. Because I think we're so, it's so easy to just be like, well, if anybody's ever going 120 miles an hour on the highway, they should just go to jail. Which now think about it, how easy it is to just like, yeah, they should just go to jail, right? <laughs> Assuming I would never find myself in that situation. Eye mm. for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah, anybody who hurts me, they should just get hurt. And then the concrete is like, no, 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 no. When you hurt somebody, mm. who's, and not just anybody, but somebody who's vulnerable because you have power over them and you've abused the power and you're not hurting them, right? Mm. Um, this it, it happened there with the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It put us into a setting with a narrative with a tooth and an eye as the shiny object to pay attention to that's going to determine what happens with the people in that setting. Hmm. Um, this is a very sophisticated form of reasoning with people that acknowledges that the, con, uh, the, the concrete embodied historical scenario um, has more pull on it than just merely giving an ambiguous, hey, if this ever happens, maybe you should do this. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's for reasons like this that a lot of us look at this literature and we're like, look, this is not cranky old Semitic, uh, you know, angry God, legal, do this, don't do that talk. This is actually really appealing to us in community and in body for the sake of all the families of the earth. Mm. Wow. I think this transitions us really well into what we're going to be talking about next, which right. is the stories. So um, the way the law uses story to actually communicate to us what is ethical, what is right and wrong in a given situation, not just a blanket statement, but actually, again, being able to become a discerning and wise people, which right. is the goal. So be sure to to come back again. We're going to be talking about Bible stories, which I think, as a as a general rule, is a little bit more of the familiar side yes, of the Bible yeah, to most we people. Bible we love Bible stories. So come back for the stories. It's going to be great. Um, until next time. Thanks for listening to Discover Your Roots. This podcast is brought to you by the Passages team and is made possible by our generous donors. If you'd like to make a contribution to the work we do, please visit passagesisrael.org and click the donate button. To find more resources about the Bible in its original context, the roots of the Christian faith in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jewish-Christian relations, and more, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media to learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.